Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. I was looking at NBA futures this morning. The Golden State Warriors are plus 5,500 right now on DraftKings to win the title. So if you believe in them, that's a big number. And Denver, I have Denver as my championship favorite, and they're still the second best odds on DraftKings right now at plus 450. So lots of good NBA bets to look at over the course of the end of the season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having an incredible week. Got a fun show for you guys today. The Sixers and the Celtics squared off last night. Boston got a big win. We're going to break that game down from the perspective of both teams. Then while I was skiing yesterday up in northern Arizona, we had that mailbag on Monday, if you guys remember. And someone asked me to compare Nicole Jokic's ceiling to, or his uh, peak, 
to Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. And I said that I thought Jokic was above both of those guys. Ended up causing a whole a bunch of drama on Twitter as a bunch of people disagreed. A bunch of you guys in the comments actually had interesting counterpoints. So in the end of the show today, I took like about like seven or eight different counterpoints from you guys arguing against my take about Jokic and KD and Steph. And so we're just going to go argument style there at the end of the show, kind of diving deeper into that particular take. So Sixers Celtics off the top, Jokic at the end. And then later tonight, after the final buzzer of Lakers Clippers, we'll be going live on YouTube to break that game down. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. It's also super helpful if you leave a rating and a review on that front. Don't forget about my Twitter feed at underscore Jason LT. That's where I leave show announcements as well as the film threads that I do from time to time in the mornings. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments. We're going to be doing a mailbag in Friday's show this week. Also, have any of you guys ever had a bad experience with a ticket buying app or website? Maybe you, you know, put the ticket in the cart and you go to check out and then all of a sudden all these fees show up and all of a sudden the price doesn't reflect what you were expecting. Or maybe you bought a ticket and you showed up to the arena and the seat wasn't what you were expecting. Or maybe it's just an overly convoluted and complicated process. Well, this is where I want to tell you guys about Game Time, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. You can see the view from your seat before you buy. So you know exactly what you're getting yourself into when you arrive. It's all in pricing up front. So none of that confusing adding fees while you're trying to check out. And you can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. So we still got a solid month and a half of regular season basketball. And obviously the playoffs coming up. A lot of older stars around the league. Guys like KD and Steph and LeBron that aren't going to be in the league that much longer. And these could be some of our last opportunities to see them in person. And as much as we enjoy watching games on TV, get out and go see these guys in person. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code HOOPS. For $20 off your first purchase, terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. So uh, Sixers Celtics, really interesting game. The beginning of the game was an excellent example, just kind of a showcase of how great Boston's perimeter defenders are. Philly was running this dribble weave, which is like literally one of my least favorite forms of offense. Those of you guys who are Arizona Wildcats fans like me will remember that Sean Miller used to run this a lot uh, uh, in their half-court offense. And it basically just uh, just imagine all the guards just running dribble handoff after dribble handoff, and they're constantly trying to find an opportunity to turn the corner. But the problem is, is the vast majority of guard-guard screens are really any sort of perimeter player, perimeter player screen. It's just a switch. And so these they just end up handing, like as the offensive players are handing the basketball off, the defensive players are just handing their matchup off and they're able to kind of stop guys from turning the corner. And they were doing a really good job of containing the basketball, really on everybody except for Tyrese Maxey, who, by the way, no one in the league can really contain Tyrese Maxey. But the two guys in particular that were having a lot of success on the perimeter to start the game were Derek White and Jalen Brown. I'm really going to be diving into this concept in today's show, especially as we get uh, to more towards Boston's defense later on in this segment. But like Derek White and Jalen Brown, their combination of mobility, strength, and length 
can really cause problems for perimeter players when they're trying to drive. A lot of possessions where Philly players like a Buddy Heald or Tobias Harris would be trying to turn the corner and they're chest to chest and they just keep their hands exposed or out, out to the side so they don't draw a foul and they're just sliding with them and bumping them along. And then as soon as they expose the basketball, they'll strip down. They're forcing turnovers, getting out in transition off of that. Jalen Brown was so aggressive in the paint in this game, especially early on. He only took three shots outside of the paint all game long. He drove a closeout to get to the rim. He used a ball screen at the top of the key to get downhill and dunk with his left hand. Even in the post, like Jalen Brown is one of the best fadeaway jump shooters in the league, if not the best. And we were actually talking about this the other day. Like even, even the most efficient fadeaway jump shooter is not as efficient as a shot in close to the rim. And there was a possession where he was posting up in the middle of the floor, had a size mismatch. And instead of going to the right shoulder fade, he went to a left hook there in the lane right at the rim and made it. And I was like, that's a great example of a physically aggressive move. That doesn't mean you don't use the fadeaway. The fadeaway is a valuable shot to have in your bag. And again, Jalen's so good at it that it makes sense for him to take it. But I like a good mix of physical aggression in there. And uh, looking at Jalen Brown's shot chart in this game, was just a great example of what I've been preaching for a long time, which is just directing more of your resources towards physically aggressive basketball in the paint because that is what translates to the postseason. Again, this paint aggression thing has been a theme for this show in our coverage of the Celtics over the course of the last couple of weeks, and it's been a theme for the Celtics over the course of the last couple of games, back-to-back games against the Knicks and the Sixers where the Celtics just completely dominated the paint. Now, there's obvious context there, right? Like the Knicks' front line was injured, right? OG Ananobi, Julius Randle, and uh, Mitchell Robinson all out. Joel Embiid's out for the Sixers. The Sixers also are a team that prioritizes defending the three-point line, especially since Joel Embiid went down. And so some of that is matchup related, uh, but there's a lot of really good process stuff in there. I pointed out these four things that the Celtics needed to do to increase their paint output uh, about a week ago on the show. And it was running in transition for layups and dunks instead of threes, right? If you guys remember, they're a team that is a heavy run for three-point shots type of team. They're a bottom half team in the league running in transition for two-point shots. They were running out for layups and dunks all night against the Sixers. Jalen Brown, in particular, was devastating in transition in this game. And then a post-aggression was the second piece, talking about taking post moves more aggressively towards the rim instead of constantly fading away. We talked about that earlier with Jalen Brown. And then cutting instead of spotting up and crashing the offensive glass. Now, these weren't as prevalent in the Sixers game, but very much so in the Knicks game. Those are two additional ways to drive offense, and they were really active cutting and crashing the offensive glass against the Knicks. And as a result, we're seeing them have Fewer jump shots attempted per game, more points in the paint scored per game in the last couple of games. As a matter of fact, in this particular game, the Celtics only took 32 jump shots against the Sixers. Juxtapose that with the Bulls game. Remember the Bulls game? They took 57 jump shots in that game. And again, some of it is related to the matchups, but it's also about playing a more physically imposing brand of basketball. It's about being more deliberate about hunting those paint opportunities. Philly went on a late run in this game in the early fourth quarter to get the game close. Uh, The game stayed close in the first half. Tyrese Maxey was just incredible. We'll talk about him in a minute. But Boston ended up going up by 14 in the late third, but then Philly got it back to two, and it was a lot of 
jumpers. They went through a little short stretch where Boston did get jumper happy and they weren't going in. And then campaign came in for the, for the Sixers there in the early fourth quarter and had a little scoring burst at a couple of jab step threes. Next thing you know, it's a two point game, but Boston immediately responded. Al Horford cooled off campaign in an ISO heat check situation. You know, campaigns, looking to make a three. He was sitting on his left-handed drive because campaign again is the kind of player that like, if he can get to that strong left hand, he can make that scoop shot off the glass from basically anywhere. He made some impossible scoop shots in this game, but if you can funnel him back towards his right, he's more likely to take a jump shot, baited him into a really tough step back going towards his right and got him to miss it, missed it badly, way short. So Horford cools off campaign. And then Al Horford and Luke Cornett both had big deflections during that span that led to runouts going back the other way. Now Boston's back going in transition. Drew Holiday also hit a couple of big jump shots in that stretch, and the Celtics ended up winning comfortably. But I wanted to talk about the defensive end for a little bit because a lot of the uh, Boston success in this particular game came off of their defense. And we talked about their perimeter defender core earlier and how that kind of like manifested in this particular game as they were able to slow down the perimeter options for Philly. Even Tyrese Maxey, who, if I'm not mistaken, only had two points in the fourth quarter of this game. The defense for Boston is their margin for error. Whatever you say about, you know, Boston's half-court execution, which we've obviously talked about ad nauseum on the show, their defensive personnel is capable of building more margin for error on that end, even than they've demonstrated. Now, defensively, they are great in the metrics. They're top of the league again this year, just like they were last year, just like they were the year before in that like top tier of teams. But there's a difference between where they were at in 2022 versus where they were at this year and last year. And you can just see it in the numbers. In 2022, their defensive rating was 4.4 points better than it was in 2023. And it's actually the same this year than it was in 2023. So even though by ranking among the other teams in the league, they've been an excellent defense this year. They haven't been the otherworldly defense that they were in 2022. And I do think that's still in there. Obviously, Robert Williams was a big part of that unit, but Kristaps Porzingis brings similar length and rim protection <clears throat> to this unit. But if you remember that 2022 playoff run, it was their defense that got them there. How did they beat the Nets? They beat the Nets because they locked up Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They, like Giannis actually fatigued over the course of that series, missed a lot more shots than you're accustomed to seeing Giannis missing, and in Game 7 was completely out of gas and, ran, and was run down when Boston ran away with that series, right? They had devastating stretches of defense versus Miami, had multiple games where they shut Jimmy Butler down, and then that was how they took the early lead against Golden State. It was the strength of their defense. Like that, that to me is where an, a, they can make an additional improvement to buy margin for error for some of the shortcomings that they have on the offensive end of the floor. Take Jalen Brown, for instance. Like, there's so much focus on his offensive shortcomings, right? Like, can he dribble with his left hand? What happens when his pull up jump shot's missing? You know, how else can Jalen Brown impact winning in those environments? Well, when he's competing on defense the way that he is as of late, like in this last couple of weeks, and he's that devastating transition freight train that he's been as of late, he doesn't have to be a deeply impactful offensive player in the half court because he's that kind of deeply impactful athlete in the other areas of the game. Just guard. Guard as well as you possibly can and be that transition freight train. 
and it won't be it won't matter as much the other issues that he can have from time to time on the offensive end of the floor. That defensive end for me for Boston, like especially especially as of late, we're seeing just a little bit more competition on that end of the floor. That to me is something I'm going to be keeping an eye on because if they can get that defensive rating down a little bit closer to where it was in 2022, that to me is a strong indicator that they're poised to reach their ceiling on that end of the floor when they get to the postseason. On the Philly front. Tyrese Maxey. I was just so impressed by him in this game. He had 32 points. Felt like it should have been more, too. Like, he had several that went in and out. He had a step-back three right before the half uh, where he got great separation, and it went in and out. He had a turnaround jumper on Drew Holiday in the lane that went in and out. It felt like he could have had more. But he seemingly got buckets against every single Celtic. He was able to turn the corner against their best perimeter defenders. He was scoring against every single coverage that Boston threw at him. He was making good kickout passes. Even competing on defense. There was a stretch here in the middle of the game where Jalen Brown was really trying to attack Tyrese Maxey in ISO, and he forced him into three turnovers. He drew a charge and a post-up. He picked him clean twice. Like, like he's competing on that end of the floor. Now he's got his limitations there, and I uh, I, I actually I struggle with some of Philly's approach in the sense that like I don't necessarily agree with playing Buddy Heald in the starting lineup next to Tyrese Maxey because I think you kind of dip below a certain amount of perimeter defense talent. And I kind of like him more as a bench weapon that you use a lot with Joel Embiid and dribble handoff situations and things like that. I actually would prefer DeAnthony Melton to start in that spot. Maybe he will in the long run. It, it could just be a product of the situation right now. But I just was so incredibly impressed by Tyrese Maxey. He's a warrior. And 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 to me, he's he looks like a legitimate number two. A guy that you can legitimately build around with Joel Embiid and have a championship caliber roster. 12 games since Joel Embiid went down. Tyrese Maxey, 27 points, 4 rebounds, and 6 assists on 57% true shooting and a 2.5 assist to turnover ratio. And then one last guy I wanted to shout out on the Sixers was Ricky Council, the fourth. This is a guy that stood out to me when I was... I haven't watched a ton of Sixers since Joel Embiid went down for obvious reasons. They're just way less of a factor in the landscape of the NBA right now. And I mean, especially as you look at Philly kind of sliding down the standings in the reality of it already being February 28th, and you look at Joel Embiid potential, like the only way that Philly wins the title is if Joel Embiid comes back and just kills everybody, right? But that's difficult to imagine happening this season when he's going to have to come back in like mid to late March and like come from a really low seed and potentially have to play a really good team in the first or second round. Like to me, it just doesn't feel like this is the right season. Right. And so haven't been covering the Celtics super closely. I mean, you don't have to look any further than this show, uh, our fucking, our feed to, to see that. But Ricky council, the fourth has been a guy that has really stood out to me in the games that I've watched with Philly, really athletic, high motor, competes on the glass, can put the ball on the floor and make plays happen. He's actually like a good slasher that generates some rim pressure. I was looking at his per 36 numbers. He's scoring at a rate of 24 points per 36 minutes and eight rebounds per 36 minutes on 62% true shootings. A really interesting bench wing that Daryl Morey has found for the Sixers. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories 
from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you guys ever had a bad ticket buying experience? Maybe you go to check out and it ends up being way more expensive than it was when you clicked on it. Or maybe you go to your seat and it ends up being not what you expected when you bought it to begin with. Or maybe it's just an overly convoluted and complicated process. Well, this is where I want to talk to you guys about Game Time, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. They have all-in pricing, so you know exactly what your total is going to be up front, and you know you're getting a great deal before you check out. Also, you get to see the view from your seat in the app, so you know exactly what you're getting for your money. And it's a super easy process. You can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, and even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last-minute seats. You can find exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And this is the coolest part. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. And as great as it is watching these games on TV, especially with the NBA heating up here on the home stretch, go out and see a game. Go to see one in person. The NBA is in a really great place right now with talent. You got to get into the arena to really get the full experience. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, 
and use code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, let's talk about yesterday's fiasco. So uh, it was funny because I was skiing and uh, all that happened is we had a mailbag question, right? So Monday show, we're doing the usual thing. We did a game breakdown, Pacers, Mavs. We did uh, uh, power rankings. And then a mailbag question. Somebody just asked, would you take, like, where does Jokic's peak rank with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry? And I answered the question authentically with what I believe to be the truth, which is that Nikola Jokic's peak is higher than Kevin Durant and Steph's has ever been. And I broke down why. I explained like uh, Nicole Jokic is kind of like uh, 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 like the consensus best player in the world right now. And I just don't think that ever was even remotely the case for Kevin Durant or Steph Curry. And we kind of got into it a little bit, but it was a short little response and a mailbag question. Well, we uh, our staff clipped it and put it on social media and it was like a complete shit show on Twitter. It was everyone was disagreeing. All the Kevin Durant and Steph Curry fans were super upset. I obviously am not going to get into that kind of side of things because the internet's a nasty, nasty place. And I've talked about it on the show, but like player stands are like some of the worst uh, uh, elements of basketball discourse these days because they feel the need to just defend their player at all costs. And it just leads to some really, unfortunately, um, bad basketball discourse. But I do think there's an interesting basketball question or basketball debate to have here. And a lot of you guys, you uh, listeners of this show who are well-meaning and, and and obviously want to have a real discussion about it made really interesting counterpoints. And I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different counterpoints that you guys made in the YouTube comments. And so what I thought would be fun is obviously my stance is Jokic's peak was higher than Kevin Durant's and Steph Curry's. Therefore, like, you know, uh, uh, based on the fact that he's the best player in the world and his dominance in this stretch is just kind of better than what those guys did. That's my stance. You guys disagree. Here are some counterpoints. Let's argue about it. So I figured that's what we would do in this segment. So first comment. Listening to how Jokic is by far the best player of this generation baffles me. How many championships does he have? So that's the first clarification. It was strictly a question of who had the higher ceiling in this particular era, right? So obviously Steph and Kevin Durant are over Jokic all time. Kevin Durant's a two-time champion, two-time finals MVP. Steph Curry is a two-time MVP and a four-time NBA champion. You know, obviously what Steph did in 2022 moved him way up in my all-time list. I think I have Steph fifth among all perimeter players in modern NBA history. So like, obviously I don't have Jokic above those guys all time. But strictly looking within the ceiling, their peak of their career and how much they dominated the league in their peak, I do have Jokic over those two guys. So that's the first clarification. Second one, that's a weird take saying that Joker is better than Steph because he's considered the best player in the world now when there isn't a prime LeBron to compare him to. Unless you would also say that Joker is now better than LeBron six or seven years ago. So here's the thing. Hmm. LeBron's peak versus Jokic's peak is an interesting discussion to have. Now, I would lean LeBron because I think LeBron had a better combination of like inevitable half-court shot creation while also being this supremely gifted athlete that could cause so many problems on the defensive end of the floor and in transition and things along those lines. Like, for instance, like the case for Jokic 
is he's arguably the best half-court playoff basketball player on the offensive end of all time. Arguably. Like, that's his thing. Like, in the half-court, slow-down environment, five-on-five offensive basketball, is there a guy better than Nikola Jokic at creating and finishing super high-quality shots? That's up for debate. And, like, I would actually even accept if you said Jokic was slightly above even LeBron in that regard. But LeBron was also really good at that. Like, when you look back to, like, like really that stretch from about 2014 to, like, 2018 – because he was really good offensively in the early Miami Heat years. But like LeBron ball where you like spread the floor and he'd beat his man in, uh, in one-on-one or kick out to shooters or hit the lob man underneath the basket. That really kind of took on towards the end of the Miami Heat run when Chris Bosh moved to center. And then in the Cleveland Cavaliers years, right? And especially like peaking in 2018. 2018 LeBron, if you left him on an island, he was scoring. And if you helped, he was making the right play out to the right player to finish that play right so like now was he as good at that as prime Jokic was or is I don't know I probably lean ever so slightly towards Jokic just because Jokic had this inevitable has this inevitability around the rim where like he literally is making shots at like a 65 70 percent clip and even LeBron at his peak wasn't that efficient as a scorer around the basket. But even though it's close in that regard, LeBron obviously was one of the very best defensive players in the league at his prime. And even in the that later stretch from 2014 to 2018, he could still be this deeply impactful defensive and, and, and rebounding athlete. And so I lean very slightly towards LeBron in terms of the ceiling. But Jokic is... That's where I want to be clear here. I think Jokic's ceiling is in the same echelon as the LeBrons and the 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 Kobe's and the MJ's and the and, and that group of guys. That's the level that I think Nicole Jokic is at right now. Now, as it regards as it pertains to Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and their circumstances having to be underneath LeBron, this is a conversation I've had a lot on this show. It mainly centers around LeBron James and MJ because a lot of LeBron fans will be like why are we giving MJ credit for being dominant in the 90s when he was just way better ever than everybody and there weren't any legitimate stars, you know, like legitimate superstars that could challenge him? And that that's that's what LeBron fans will say, right? They'll be like, you know, like Charles Barkley was his best opponent during that stretch or, you know, these big guys like Patrick Ewing or Shaquille o- o- O'Neal or Hakeem Olajuwon, these kinds of guys like, There just was nobody in the 90s that could step to Michael Jordan. And my thing is like, even if we do, even if we do accept that as partially to be reality, that's not your circumstance. Your circumstance is your circumstance. And it's really difficult to quantify that. How much is the way we view Charles Barkley and the way we view those centers in that era? Like how, how much Clyde Drexler... How how much of that is actually related to the fact that MJ just won all the time? Like, if MJ didn't play at all in the 90s, would we view Charles Barkley the way we view Magic and Larry and Steph and KD and LeBron, or Steph and LeBron? Would we view him like that? Because what if, what if Barkley got four titles in the 90s because MJ wasn't there, right? Like, it, it, like it's all convoluted and really difficult to quantify. So to me, the way all you can do is dominate your peers. You, going across eras gets too complicated. 
it's within the realm of your era, your NBA that you play in, and how you stack up to your peers there. And here's the thing. KD and Steph, they had to play in the LeBron James era. That is true. But I personally don't think they were on the same level. Right? That's just the reality. We look at Jokic now. It's a different league, right? We have older LeBron, older KD, older Steph. But we also have Giannis. We also have Luka. We also have Joel Embiid. We have we have Jason Tatum. We have we have all Kawhi Leonard. We have all these guys. And Jokic is still head and shoulders above all of them. So even though we I I first of all reject that idea outright just from the standpoint of like it's convoluted and difficult to quantify the different eras, right? But regardless, within this era, in a league that has Giannis and Luka and Embiid and LeBron and KD and Steph and all these guys, Jokic is way better than them. At least substantially and clearly definably better than them. So to me, that is the difference maker for Jokic. Like, I I, I think that when we're looking at ceilings, it's really difficult to quantify the different eras, but we can quantify that current era. And to me, Jokic is better in his era relative to his peers than KD and Steph ever were relative to their peers in their era. Next question, or next comment or counterpoint, I should say. Steph is six foot two. Comparing him to a seven footer is not even accurate or fair. I mean, here's the thing. Basketball is basketball. There's not a trophy for short players and a trophy for tall players. It is a testament to how incredibly great Steph Curry is that at six foot two, he's in the conversations that he's in. But the reality is no one walks out onto the floor in game six of the Western Conference semis last year and goes, everybody add 15 points to the Warriors because Steph's 6'2". That's not how it works. Your height is your height. That's your circumstance within the game of basketball. If Jokic's height is something that gives him an advantage, then he has an advantage. That's just how it works. And again, to me, it's a testament to Steph that he's had as much success as he has at his side. Size. Next comment. As a Denver fan who works at the arena, I agree with everything you said, except who cares about polling fans? Most of them are biased and many are uninformed. How about if we pull 100 scouts, GMs, or coaches? Jokic would probably win that poll by an even greater margin, and it'd matter far more than the fans. First of all, I do agree that if you polled 100 scouts, GMs, or coaches, the vast majority of them, probably 90, 95 of them, would say that Jokic is the best player in the world. I do push back a little bit in the sense that like, I think fans are smart basketball fans too. I, I think it depends. Like there's some that are not and there's some that are, but like, I do think pa- a fan opinion does matter. And I think like, that's a big part of why I do uh, 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 interact so much with you guys in the comments is like, I, I legitimately think a lot of you guys bring really interesting perspective to the table. And I do think that there's value there. Next comment. Steph in 2016 was definitively the best in the league until he got injured in the playoffs. Man was hurt throughout the uh, and man was playing hurt throughout that postseason. So here's the thing. Steph had a case to be the best player in the world in 2016. He probably I would say that was probably when he peaked on that conversation in the sense that like during the 2016 season there was probably a higher percentage of fans and people that thought Steph was the best player in the world, but even then it certainly was not definitive and the majority still felt like it was LeBron. There just there was a point in time there around 2016, especially in the regular season, 
where a good like third, it felt like, felt that way. Now, all Warriors fans have felt that way. Like, there's no doubt. Like, I, I know Warriors fans are super high on Steph Curry. They think he's been the best player in the world from like 2014 to now. You know, like I know a lot of Warriors fans feel that way. But in the overarching court of public opinion for basketball, in 2016 was probably Steph's peak in the way that he was regarded. And in that phase, I still think the majority of fans and, and NBA personnel thought LeBron was better than him. And so I would mainly just push back on the word definitively there. There was no stretch ever where definitively Steph was the best player in the world, meaning like 75% plus of fans and 75% plus of league personnel thought Steph was the best player in the world. I don't think that that ever happened. Next comment. According to Jason's own logic, it's unfair to compare a center to a wing slash guard as the game is vastly different for each category. Jokic at his best is comparable to peak Giannis at the moment. He passes both the eye test and stats and stats test to be the most dominant big player in the generation. But unless Jokic does a similar run as Steph in 2022 or Dirk in 2011, I would never consider his peak better than Steph, who in 2022 beat one of the best defensive teams in the era without a top 30 co-star. If you want to make the deduction that Jokic is better from the fact that Denver is currently better than the Warriors, fine. Let's not ignore that Denver has the best five-man lineup in the league while the Warriors do not have even a solid secondary scoring option. So a bunch of different stuff here and some interesting points, like for starters, the wing guard versus center thing. I agree. It's really difficult to compare the two. They basically play different positions. But to me, that more applies to historical conversations because like nowadays, centers do function more as perimeter players. Like Embiid and Jokic basically run their entire offense. Like that was not the case. Like even take like a dominant post player like Akeem Olajuwon in like the mid-90s. He was not getting super high volume assists and running the offense outside of him looking to score down there. That was not the way bigs were used back then. So like pre the, like pre the super modern, like last, you know, seven, eight years before that stretch centers really did fundamentally play a different sport. But like nowadays it's like Giannis to me is kind of a perimeter player. Nikola Jokic kind of is a perimeter player. Joel Embiid kind of is a perimeter player. So now it gets more convoluted just because of the way basketball has changed. Even Embiid now, who is so limited as a passer, is taking massive leaps as a passer because they're using him as a passer. Like that, that is just fundamentally how the game of basketball is changing. So, like, I do feel that way when it comes to ranking like Tim Duncan and Shaq and, and Akeem Olajuwon and all these guys compared to like Kobe and LeBron and MJ. But like Jokic, Giannis, Embiid. These these are modern bigs, and modern bigs are much more like normal basketball players as the league has become more and more positionless as time goes by. Um, Jokic at his best is comparable to peak Giannis. That I disagree with. Giannis had a, Giannis is incredible, and I think for a brief stretch there in the early 2020s, you could say he was the best player in the world, but it was up for debate. And specifically in that 2021 season, it was a weird season. It was post-COVID. All of the teams that made it to the later rounds in the 2020 season all struggled, right? Like even the Miami Heat, who have had the Bucks number every single year outside of that, like struggled in that season. The Nuggets were out, injured. The Lakers were out, injured, right? Like everyone was down, right? In that 20, even that Celtics team was really bad in, in 2021. 
in that year, we had a Trey Young led Western Conference team of uh, f- finalist. We had a Paul George led East uh, Western Conference finalist, and we had a Suns team make the finals that was led by Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and was just not nearly as good as some of the other championship contenders we've had in recent NBA history. Does not mean that championship doesn't count. Just mean that just means that Giannis kind of hit his peak, so to speak. Where it kind of where he kind of took that number one spot in the league during kind of a confluence of events where where he where he was able to take that spot, but then he immediately lost the spot as the league got deeper and Jokic surpassed him. And to me, Jokic last year like ripping through the uh, the KD Booker Suns, ripping through the uh, the LeBron AD Lakers, ripping through the Jimmy Bam heat. Like that was just another level in my opinion. And so to that other uh, question, does he would need to have a similar run to Steph's 2022 run or Dirk's 2011 run? I think Jokic's run is every bit on that level. Absolutely. Unquestionably. Now the point about uh, Steph not doing it or the Steph doing it without another top 30 co-star, that's where it gets complicated because Here's the thing. Your value to your value as a basket, basketball player is strictly what your value value is in your role for your team. That's all that really matters, right? So for instance, like Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray on the Nuggets because they have the defensive personnel to give him an achievable defensive role, because he can focus on shot making on the offensive end because of what everything else the Nuggets offense can do, he impacts winning for the Nuggets at a top 20 level. And I reflect that in my player rankings, right? But like, to me, Andrew Wiggins and what he did in that 2022 playoff run is highly underrated in a different way. How did the Warriors win in 2022? It was Steph's greatness, but what was another big chunk of it? It was Andrew Wiggins kind of shut Luka Doncic down, or at least made him way less efficient. Andrew Wiggins kind of shut Jason Tatum down. Definitely made him way less efficient. Like, that was a big part of it. Andrew Wiggins, in his on-ball defense against the best players in the world in that stretch, was a huge part of Golden State winning the title. In addition to him giving you the the legitimate secondary shot creation and big-time rebounding and downhill athleticism and matchup attacking, like, Andrew Wiggins was great in that run. Like, it that this, uh, this last point here, let's not forget that Denver has the best five-man lineup in the league. Golden State in 2022 was a similar type of deal. I don't think they were, for the record, I do think that that Warriors team was not quite as good as the Nuggets were, which by the way, the Nuggets were, uh, um, uh, the, the Nuggets were more dominant. The Warriors were actually threatened a couple of times during that run, right? The, that Warriors team had a really well-fitting starting five. Clay Thompson came back. Clay Thompson locked up Jalen Brown in the finals down the stretch, right? Talked about everything Andrew Wiggins did. Draymond Green's one of the best defensive players in NBA history. Like they, they were similar to Denver in the sense that they didn't have star power beyond their superstar, but all of their guys were stars in their roles. And so to me, like Steph's 2022 run has some similarities to Nikola Jokic in the 2023 run. But to me, Nikola Jokic was definitively better than everybody in the league and has clearly put a, a, a bit of separation between him and his peers in a way that Steph has not been able to do. Uh, two more. Jokic is 29 years old, not 26. He's unstoppable, but I doubt he'll get another season MVP award. My guess is Shea, Ant, Luca, and Tatum are the next contenders for the award. However, John Morant went healthy, and Drama Free, Drama Free can also win the MVP. So this is actually really funny. I 
<laughs> I have no idea how I lost track of time. But when I, I legitimately thought Jokic was like 27, 28 years old or 26, 27 years old. Like clearly, like I'm wrong about a lot of things on the show. You guys know that. Trust me, there's certain people who listen to the show who will never let me live it down whenever I'm wrong about something. But like that was legitimately hilarious when I read that because I was like, oh my God, like how much of a, how, how much of a, uh, of a brain fart is it for me to not remember that Nikola Jokic is older than that? But I was surprised by that. And it does affect his long-term potential. So like if you wanted to pass KD and Steph, all time he needs to continue to accumulate accomplishments and if he's 29 years old it's just harder to do than if you're 27 years old for instance so that might affect him in the all-time conversations but that doesn't to me affect anything having to do with his ceiling also i do think he's going to win the mvp this year he's the favorite um i think shea is like plus 250 and there's a chance if the nuggets really kind of let their foot off the gas here down the stretch that he could uh, uh that he could get it but i do think Jokic is going to, the guys, Jokic is going to win his third MVP in four tries. And the one he didn't win last year, he straight up punted. He was the leader most of the season. And at the end of the season, he basically let Embiid get the award. So like, like he was this close to getting four consecutive MVPs. That's the level of dominance we're talking about, guys. Like, <laughs> I get it. I understand that it's a little bit of like a recency bias thing. I understand that there's like, you know, uh, I'm I'm usually Mr. Give credence and respect to the guys that have been there. And by the way, that I do reflect that in my all-time list. I'm not here saying Jokic is the fourth best player of all time. I'm just saying we are witnessing right now a level of dominance that we have never seen from KD or Steph. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying the level of dominance is more on par with what we've seen out of the guys at the top of the NBA history, guys like LeBron, guys like MJ, guys like Kobe, so on and so forth. All right, guys, that is all I have for today, uh, for today's show uh, in the afternoon. We will be back later tonight on live on YouTube after the final buzzer of Lakers Clippers. I will see you guys then. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.